We have Rachel Korazim. I'll say a few quick words and then you can take the microphone. Rachel is a powerful speaker and freelance Jewish education consultant specializing in curriculum development for Israel and Holocaust education. She is involved with Jewish education worldwide, creating and implementing in-service training programs for educators, writing educational materials, counseling, and teaching. I'm skipping down at the end. Born in Israel, she served in the IDF as an officer in the Central Training Base for Women and was later a member of the IDF delegation to Niger, West Africa. She's a graduate of Haifa University with a PhD in Jewish education. She survived dinner at my house with my two little children yesterday. One of them refused to wear his pants at the yeah. table <laughs> and decided that he needed to hand out the food yeah. in the standing nude, up in the standing nude. up in the nude. She survived that and no criticism. She said, yeah, we have that in Israel. Not a big deal. Um, she's also my mother's favorite scholar of all time, and the reason she's here is because my mother many years ago said, you must bring Rachel Korazim. As you all know, when your mother suggests a scholar, you listen. So I'm glad I listened. Welcome back. Okay. And we look forward to having you again. Please join me welcoming Rachel. I'm not doing my, you know, fancy three questions introduction because of the flight. And I will not be very patient and nice with Q&As afterwards today. So I'm seriously, and I mean it. If there are questions that rise from this, write to me. I'm good with responding to emails, and I do. It may take a bit with my international flight to, today, but I will answer your emails, okay? And my email address is as simple as they come. Do you know my last name? Yes. That is it. Koraz not Rachel Korazim, just Korazim at gmail.com. That's it. Korazim with a K at gmail.com. So I might have mentioned uh, that I do teach at the Hartman Institute, you know, that's the rabbi summer camp and other people's summer camp as well. And every year they come up with a topic and a couple of years ago the topic was this thing about how do we conduct ourselves as who we are? What's the way to go about things? And the term they have used is the term Delch Eretz which in the intricate way the Hebrew works, it has two words, the expression of how to comport, conduct yourself properly. The first word is derech, which means road. The second word is eretz, which means the land. So put together the road of the land, but it's not the meaning of the expression. What it means is proper conduct. And I wanted to challenge what they were doing at the time so I said, yeah, but there are many ways to conduct yourself. There are many ways to look at their health. Will you click now? And I came up with three sessions. The first of which had said, we are going left to right. So the first one was, well, you want to conduct yourself. You have to learn how to be an Israeli. So the first one was how to be an Israeli. Yeah. The second one, the second one, the one in the center, you see this sort of a metal box on which it says forbidden. And I, I figured when they want to teach you how to behave, they also need to tell you what not to do. So I started looking at the censored things. And that was the session we had, we started with, remember? Okay, so the censored thing. And the third one, was like do and do not do. I started looking at Israeli poetry. We are not doing this session on this visit. I will be doing it for your friend uh, on the, by the other ocean in a couple of weeks. I called it imperatives. Or for those of you who speak Hebrew, tzivui. Do you remember your Hebrew classes about the tenses, past, present, and future? And then there is the imperative, the tzivui. This is when the song or the poem tells you Climb the mountain, do this, do not do this, pick the flowers, do not pick the flowers, etc. But we are not doing it so we can continue. We are going to the first one, and this is about the issue of Aliyah. So first of all, you become an Israeli, you need to make Aliyah, right? So when, by the way, I don't have the set of texts, could you get me one, Ali? So when you are coming to live in Israel, Unlike any other language talking about people coming in from other countries, we have the general, thank you, generic term, immigrate or emigrate. But in, case, in the case of the Hebrew, that is not the term we use. 
We use the term Aliyah, oftentimes outside of Israel, confused with the Aliyah in synagogue, go up to the Bima for your Torah reading. But actually what it means is going up, ascent. So the Hebrew language considers coming to live in Israel from a different country, not just as a change of address, but as a change of status, if you wish, not economical necessarily, in most cases the other way around, but rather spiritually you're going up. Therefore, in critical derogatory Hebrew, somebody should leave the country, we will call them, Yordim going down, which not just emigrants, you know, but Yordim, the people who go down. All right, but there is another term connected with the issue of coming up, of the ascent, and that is the notion of coming home. Now, you really need to be a Jew for that, right? I will be, click once, will you, for me? Thank you, and once more. And once more, and we are done. So, the notion is, of, is that of coming home. When you are coming to Israel, if, even if you have never lived there, we think of term, about it in terms of we all have been there already. Like we all metaphorically have been at Sinai to receive Torah. Like we all came out of Egypt, therefore we all went to Israel, and now accidentally for some 3,000 years or 2,000 years we lived elsewhere, but now we are coming home. So the first song, not poem, that I want for us to look at, please go to your page two for the text, and we will be looking for the first music in about three minutes when I finish discussing this. <coughs> we'll be looking at Aharon Ashman. I would be really, really surprised if you ever read anything by him, but I'm asking, perchance, he is better known for, as a playwright than as a poet. I don't think that anything that he had written was ever translated into English, but I could be wrong. Long time gone, and he creates this song which becomes very popular when Holocaust survivors from the DP camps in Europe are starting first clandestine and after the state legally to come to the land of Israel. Like the custom is in Israel, you write a poem or lyrics, immediately it's set to music. Now the funny part is that the singer who is chosen to perform this song and be sent to the DP camps to sing it is who else but Shoshana Damari. What is Shoshana Damari's personal connection to Holocaust survivors? Zilch, she's a Yemenite. <laughs> but she's the singer of the time. Now, I cannot teach this song without mentioning mom, because this was the song she loved best. And my mother was a Holocaust survivor. She came as a clandestine immigrant in the boat Max Nordau, she was 22 at the time. Will you click once? Can you see the young woman in the white top? My mom, she's 22 and she, can you guess anything about her energies and the way she conducted herself and how polite she would be if she wanted absolutely to see something? Because you know me. <laughs> there she is at the upfront, because they are approaching Haifa. The picture is already taken from the port, from the Haifa port, okay? Otherwise, you couldn't take this picture. But my, they are over 1,500 on the boat. Who is on the front row? My mama, at 22. Now, it, you do not see it, and you can never see it, but I am in the picture. <laughs> This is May, I was born in October. Oh, wow. Okay, and she totally loved this song. So let us just look at a couple of words. How many Hebrew speakers among you? Okay, so I, I need to tell you. Mizrach is east. 
And you can see the first English line, from east and west. But now think Jewish and not geography. Mizrach is where we turn in prayer. And west in the biblical Hebrew is Yam. Because when you are in the land of Israel, and also in California, the sea is to your west. So the Hebrew language calls west sea. But look at the metaphorical meanings. They are coming from east and west, but they are coming to the Mizrach, and they are coming from the sea. And all the ends, from the desert rocks and depth of waters, hearts are burning, hurt, Hence, our street is stretched homeward. The idea is habaita, coming home, and you will be hearing the sound habaita, habaita, homeward, homeward. And now look at the Zionist lingo, and to you, sir, whether people like that could at all even think speaking Yiddish. They'll have to speak Hebrew. What are gunfire, fear of jail, darkness of sea? and the teeth of rocks to the soul of a Jew imprisoned by magic light Howard. This is totally the antithesis of the Holocaust survivor image. These are not miserable people. These are strong people, fearful of nothing, and they will be deterred by nothing. Here is the Palmach being, building the image of these non-Sabra newcomers who allegorically and physically will need to turn as quickly as possible into the perfect sabra. Therefore, forgetting language, changing names, as we have discussed, mom against the absolutely anti-establishment. She taught me Hungarian as I was growing up, but totally a no-no on the kibbutz. Let's look to the next phrase, a verse. If I die on the wandering, erring boat, and my body is thrown to the fearful abyss, it will still go on its only unique road, Habaita, homeward. With my head adorned with seaweed, eyes shut hiding the fire, I will embrace the shore with a yelling silence. That's an interesting expression. And behold my image. Now there is sort of a message to us. And behold my image in the wandering cloud. And behold my image in the day, a dying light of the day. And my voice will chase, chase you an unconsoled, unsettled homeward. Even if I die on the way, I will not continue striving home. So it's a totally idealistic not at the really realistic descriptive. Think about Amos Oz and the condition of the Olim as they come, the, the misery and so on. This is totally the Zionist image, the pioneering image. This is what I hope will happen to you. A totally, I would say, non-realistic yet totally beloved, beloved, a song of the period, we would want to listen to it. Just a few bars, unless there are those of you who will suddenly remember it and will want to sing it. Let's go. Go to the text. All the ends. Desert. Depth of waters. Burning hearts. Habaita. Gunfire. Jail, nothing. Darkness. Teeth of rocks. Against my soul, nothing. Abaita, 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 Abaita. 
very much. This will do. Mid forties, mid forties. But since you, some, most of you know me already, and you will know by now that I will not settle for this totally idealistic, absolutely no connection to reality. So immediately I need to shatter your nostalgic acceptance of Olim coming with nothing but wish to become an Israeli and they will never complain about anything and forever. <laughs> Come on, don't be ridiculous. We are Jews. This is Israel. So we need for you to look at another Aliyah, a poem, this time not set to music, by Avigdor Meiri, slightly earlier. Avigdor Meiri, also Hungarian descent, but that part of Hungary that actually used to be part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, but after World War II, will go to the Ukraine. So actually, although some people speak still Hungarian there, it's actually part of the Ukraine. He was a soldier in World War I for the emperor, Franz Josef, and came out of it alive, becomes a Zionist, not socialist, not Ben-Gurion Zionist, Okay, right-wing Zionist, what we call revisionist, the Jabotinsky line. And he becomes a very well-published poet, only he doesn't really make it very well in Israel. He, he suffered, and also maybe part of his suffering was because of this very critical eye of looking at the reality of Eretz Israel and not neglecting to tell it. Had we had two hours for this session, we will now go to the most famous Avigdor Hameiri song, which is from the top of Mount Scopus, I greet you, Yerushalayim. But I don't want to do it with you now, because this you have to go, no, 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 we are not yet there. We are not yet there. This will be a good 10 minutes. <laughs> no, just keep this and we will do the text. Because those of you who have been to Israel already, can you visualize yourself standing on Moscopus, looking towards the old city of Jerusalem? Yeah. Please pick up a, a soul sheet. They're, they're gone at the ship. Oh, okay. You can see that as you stand on Moscopus, which is the university, intellectual, science, la 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 la, it is facing Temple Mount. And when our fathers, not Abraham Isaac, the later ones, the Zionist ones, are building Hebrew U in the 20s, they want this juxtaposition between the old cultural center, namely the temple, and the new temple we are building now. So Avigdor Meiri, in his poem of that time later set to music, is setting himself up on Mount Scopus, and it's from there that I am greeting you, Jerusalem. His ideological position is totally clear. It's not from Temple Mount. He's the new Jew. He does his Jewishness and greets Jerusalem from top of Mount Scopus, from this new temple. So much so that on Mount Scopus, there is an Avigdor Hameiri lane. And in it, a beautiful stone with the lyrics of the song. So what I like to do is to take people there and to get you to listen to the song as you can look at the city just like the song. Now please turn to page three, because again, this man had in him this idealistic vision, yet at the same time, the, the very same years, he is looking critically at the situation of new immigrants prior to the Holocaust. We do, the Holocaust doesn't play a role here. It's before. It's the 30s. Even before Amos Oz is born. Okay? And he writes a poem. Trust me, it is not taught in Israel. We don't like pieces of literature like this. Here is the new immigrant 
the one for which Asherman will write later songs like Homeward, who is supposed to dance horror, pick oranges, and love the land forever. And he writes, where shall I run? To be disgusted and love, to love and be disgusted. Here is your classical tension when in Israel. How many times, I mean, you come there and you want to love it and it's great and then they push you in line and then it's so dirty in the streets of Jerusalem and it's sweaty and somebody is not talking too nicely and uh, women may have other experiences with Israelis who are not really uh, behaving themselves as they should and then there is war and then missiles are dropping but you still love it. So in the first line, he's already giving us this total tension. By the way, when the Jewish agency that we have discussed Ari, in our drive yesterday wants to suggest that they are now teaching Israel <coughs> in a more complex, multi-narrative way, they choose a title for this new program that I think may be inspired by this Avigdor Hameiri line because they call it hugging and wrestling. Okay, so it's not to love and disgust, uh, but, but still to be disgusted and love, but still it suggests these two poles of totally contradictory feelings at the same time. At the same time. To carry the yoke, till trepidation to crash and heal. Just be here, only be here. I want to stay. I want to, to be able to bear it. I don't want to run away. Please give me the strength just to stay, just to stay. It's so hard. To suffer hellish torture for a penny. Cannot make a living. With a plucked soul. You, you, you lose your dignity when you have to beg for a little work. To see what is coming and no one regretting just among them, just among them. I want to be part of it. I want to belong. I want to be among them, but it's them. It's not us. They haven't accepted me yet. To be as desolate as my people and a bastard with no helping hand, to be disgusted by man, both evil and good, just not leave. Just not leave. Can you, like every day, every day, and it had happened to me already while teaching this, that I could see people very sad in the room because they could identify. Because they were trying to make Aliyah and it was too hard. And they lived through these feelings and some of them kept up to it when I teach it in Israel. And some of the, them at one point or another gave up but always with a disappointment in their heart because so much they wanted to succeed. To sow love and healing, pardon? Oh yeah, I'm talking modern day. To sow love and healing and lamentation for those sickened by hatred. Just stay cut up and, uh, cut up and bleeding in this inferno, in this inferno. What, what, but what if I am fed up with this tiny people to death and revulsion? What if the tender string will break? Where shall I run? Where shall I run? And if I cannot stick it out, where shall I run? Irvine. <laughs> this is the 30s. It's after 1924. It's getting harder to get into America. You don't want to go back to the Ukraine-Hungary part of the world. There is a terrible depression. Where shall I run? So this is not idealistic Zionism like in Habaita. This is no other choice, Zionism. And to admit that in early Zionistic Ben-Gurion-inspired Israel, wow, they, that takes courage. That takes even chutzpah.
Can you understand why, why he was never mainstream? Why he had it so hard to create a living for himself? Who would hire a person like that as a teacher? No, not that I know of. And I am lucky enough nowadays because through Facebook, what else? I got to know the woman who is the top notch of Victor Hameiri expert. She wrote a PhD about him, and she is now about to publish the ultimate authoritative Victor Hameiri book. She's working for years. She's my age, and she's very meticulous with her research. So when I did the censorship session, I called her to make sure. And she said, no, not that she knows of. And if Miriam doesn't know, probably it didn't happen. OK? So uh, this, this is to show you, and we are talking about those early years, either prior to the Holocaust or immediately after. There are the idealistic expectations. You're coming home. And then there is the harsh reality, which makes it so hard to adjust. <coughs> and then next to it, there is the knowledge of no choice. There are three elements in this. You make it work because you have no choice. Okay. I'm skipping before a daybreak. And I want to take you to a totally different part of becoming an Israeli. Please turn to page five for me, will you? I'm going to teach you a poem to read with you, a poem by Balfour Hakak. The title of which is, What Will the Dreams Be? Can anybody help me by suggesting whether you remember having me teach another Balfour Hakak poem in this room, no. Oh, this is great. So we will start. Yeah, because then I can do my shtick about his name. Can you? No, it doesn't have a PowerPoint. So you can either, you know, uh, it might. Click once, will you, for me? And again, because we're not doing the Ottoman, please go one more. Yeah, here he is. OK. So but we are starting with his name. So I'm going to tell you something about his last name. And then I'm going to ask you something about his first name, all right? So stay tuned. Chakak. Chakak is a traditional Iraqi Jewish last name. We know about the Jewish community of Iraq that they are the oldest Jewish community outside of Israel until they were finished some years ago because they can count their history and their root back not to the second temple exile, but to the earlier one, the ones who didn't come back with Ezra and the Nehemiah. Because there were always Jews who didn't come Habaita. And they kept their biblical names. And Chakak is a biblical root, like all most roots in Hebrew. Some are two letters and a few are four, but the majority are three. And everything is in the root. So chakak, chet kuf kuf, has two meanings at least. Chakak is the one who carves in stone. Chakak is also the one who gives the law. We call our Knesset Beit, the house of Hamechokekim, the house of those who create the laws. Same root, okay? By the way, in ancient time, it doesn't matter because in those times, laws are carved in stone. So this is why the proximity between the two roots or the two meanings of the same root. So we have established that Chakak is a very proud, ancient, you know, a traditional Iraqi last name. Would you be able to say the same about his first name? Is Balfour an ancient biblical? No. We can all establish that. So if I were to tell you that a very proud Jewish father in Baghdad in the year 1948 has the absolute amazing fortune to have two healthy twin boys born to him. And he calls one of them Herzl and the other Balfour. 
and the hell to what will happen with the kids when they have to go to school with these names. But what does that tell you about the father? What can you tell about the father from this choice of two first names for his sons? He is a Zionist, okay? And then the state of Israel comes, and then there are riots and problems for Jews in Baghdad, and they have to leave. And they are brought to the state of Israel. Can you imagine the welcoming committee? Ashkenazim, most of them of the second Aliyah, Look at these people who are dressed like Arabs and speak like Arabs. Maybe even because their food is different, they smell slightly different, okay? But especially the robes that older men would wear, the traditional Iraqi gear. When we came to the new land, they could see the striped coats we wore. They came to undress our striped coats with the golden seal and the edges of the garments. They had also said, let us see the dreams, what the dreams will be. Now try to think levels and layers about the striped coat. These coats, you know, these coats that they are wearing, they are striped. This is what traditionally men wore in Iraq with golden embroidery at the end. But you say in Jewish circles, striped coats, and that means you need to think quickly about whom? Joseph. Joseph. Because you know, what his father made for him was not a coat of many colors. That's Hollywood. In Torah, it says, kutonet hapasim. And not the coat of many colors. That's just Broadway and Hollywood, you know? So in our ancient culture, striped coats, tradition that was probably carried, meant the special one, the beloved one, the more expensive, dignified wear. And as soon as you arrive, take this off. What, what do you mean? Men do not dress like this. Halutzim, pioneers do not dress like this. Let's see what the dreams will be. But I want you to be sensitive. Although I'm not 100% sure that Balfour Hakak was at the time, for sure not as a child. But by the 50s, the word striped shirt means another thing in Israel. I'm just saying, let it just float in the room, the double meanings. And when we came to the new land, we were silent and whispering. We're looking for our brothers. Can you pick up the Joseph connotation? Mm -hmm. Let me remind you, because Joseph is the pampered child, and he's kept back home with his father, Yaakov, and his brothers are going out to the pastures with the family, whatever, goats, kids, whatever they had. And at a certain point, maybe the father had a second thought, and he said, you know what? Go out there, you remember the place? To the Valley of Dutan. We actually can identify the place. Go to the Valley of Dutan, see how your brothers are doing, and then come back, tell me. Because he, he gets to stay home, not working. And you know how pampered he was? He does not even know the road to the family pastures. So on the way, he needs to ask for instructions. And he encounters a man. And he asks him that famous question that I don't think there is a single rabbi in the world that didn't have at least one sermon about. Because the question is, the, the quest, et echai anochi mevakesh. I'm looking for my brothers. And every single spiritual Jewish leader in the world will tell you he was not asking for navigation instructions. He had such a lousy relationship to his brothers. And maybe he was seeking this opportunity now when daddy is not there over pampering and over protecting him, 
maybe he can find his brothers and then you know what happened, how successful that had been, okay? Now look at this in this context of becoming an Israeli. And when we came to the new land, we were silent and whispering, we are looking for our brothers. Hi, Chevre. We came. We want to belong. We are Mishpoche. You're our brothers from Vilna and Warsaw and Bucharest. Okay. A dark day was that day. Our brothers did not see our soul's pain and did not hear. Well, what can I tell you? Just like the biblical brothers. Nowadays, when we sing, we made good. This is a poem from the 90s. Nowadays, when we sing in the public courts, in the beautiful halls, to the cheap cupbearer, again, Joseph allusions all the time when he comes out of prison and so on in Egypt, and the chief baker, we view our brothers pleasantly in front of our eyes. But the striped coat, always on us. Yes, we forgot. Yes, we are now on good terms with you guys. But on our body, we still feel those striped shirts. Memory of our dignity, memory of lack of dignity in other parts of Jewish history. And during hours of troubled sleep, it should be with an age, at lightless moments, we sometimes remember the whole. Joseph dropped into. So what was it like to become an Israeli for the Iraqi Olim? Just like Joseph seeking his brothers, off with the beautiful shirt, into the hall, not listening. And this is like 50s, 20 years after Avigdor Hameiri had told us we are not doing that great with Olim. And yet we haven't learned. And have we learned since? Ask the Ethiopians. They will let you know if we have learned since. Ask even the Russians from 20 years ago if we did any better. Okay? Let's continue. A very quick one, please click once and go to page six. Chamutal Bar Yosef is one of my favorite women poets in Israel, a professor emerita of the Ben-Gurion University of the Negev, but she lives in, Je in Jerusalem. A child of immigrants, yekish, proper behavior, derech eretz, and she wants to be an Israeli, but in her, you know, a little bit of a chutzpah, maybe. But in her family, you cannot. Because on top of being yekish, they're also a bereaved family. The older brother got killed in the War of Independence. And you know that slogan that siblings of fallen soldiers were told oftentimes when you come to offer condolences. And they would say to you, now you must be very strong for your parents. You know, like, and, and, and my mourning, not taken into account, because now you are the remaining child, and you have to be there twice for them, because they are suffering. How I learned to whistle. Do you really remember use of kerosene in the house mm -hmm. for cooking, for heating, anybody? Well, we had a little bit of that. And when you did, you had to go and buy it, and it would be in sort of large containers, as heavy as you could carry, from the guy who came to the neighborhood and was ringing a bell, and then you would go out and he would pour whatever, I don't know the, the measurements, the American ones, but let's say 20 liters. And then you bring it home, and now you have to pour it into the lamp or into the heater, and 20 liters are heavy. So you have to pump out a little bit to smaller bottles that will allow you to pour. In order to pump out, you use these contraptions like this. You will put this pump into the larger container and start with the ring, work the pump into this, this other part of it will be on top of the bottle and you will be dirty, 
smelly, disgusting work. I just need for you to know. To whistle, to chew a gum, to speak was mistake, it was all forbidden for me. The single child of a teacher and a kindergarten teacher. Aha! At home, we behave, we speak proper Hebrew, grammatically, because I'm a teacher and your mom is again the kindergarten teacher. You know that. In a miserable, bereaved, cursed home. This is how she feels about her childhood. Where's the glory of the heroes who died for the state? Yeah, that's good for ceremonies. But when you live in a home like this, it's dark and bleak and painful and feels like cursed. So I volunteered to pump the kerosene from the big tin can to the bottle and to start the primus, that was the contraption with which you cooked, on top of which you cooked. Heat the boiler in the bathroom, you need to get kerosene every day. And under the protection of the eardrum-piercing shrieks of the tin pump going up and down, I squeezed my lips and blew with force. My eyes blew up and got out of their skin. Thus, in the underground, I learned how to whistle about everything, easily. She's an Israeli already, but she wants to be a real Israeli. And the real Israeli can whistle, but she's not allowed at home. So even in Israel, some kids need to go clandestine in order to become an Israeli and learn how to whistle. I know I was not allowed to whistle. I totally know. And the one who taught me was Yossi, who is now my husband, but that happened in high school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not polite. Maybe it was a goish thing, I don't know. You don't put your hands in your pocket, right? And you don't whistle. Do you remember that? Well, you were luckier. What can I tell you? What can I tell you? You're not to whistle. Also, preferably, please learn to play the piano if you can, if they could afford. Okay. I absolutely, absolutely, now we will go to that second one, need to leave you here with a smile today. Okay, so I will be introducing to you a text in a minute that was acted out, played by two famous actors in Israel. This must be at least 30, if not probably 30 years old. The man actor is dead for over 10 years, that Yossi Benai, very famous singer, from an ancient Jerusalem family, you know, like the ones we mentioned last night, that the Klausners had to wait until the Setons uh, got the phone call, okay? So Benai comes from that family. When the Benai's family has a family gathering, they hire Binyanerumah in Jerusalem. It's the largest theater hall in Jerusalem. This is what they do, because it, it, it's a tribe. Rivka Michaeli, believe it or not, is from Georgia. And she's alive. And we stopped asking how old she is. And she is still acting. She, I know that she already lives in a senior facility, but she is still an active uh, actor. Okay. And they wanted to create a song. They were given the words by, by our beloved Daniel Magor to honor the Ulpan, that place where people oftentimes alone come together from different countries, different cultures, trying to make connections, oftentimes alone. And the language is so limited. So let us go through the text first so that you can enjoy the singing. Now, how many Hebrew speakers? Okay. How many who took Hebrew classes? Thank you. This will sound familiar. Now the text, the Hebrew of Daniel Magor, which I'll try, this is my translation, which I tried to emulate, is full of mistakes. 
Now, I can make mistakes in English inadvertently, but when I plan to make mistakes, I'm not sure that I get the right spirit. All right, so if you want to follow the Hebrew, follow the Hebrew, but you'll be able to read it. So this is an encounter of a man and a woman during recess time at the Ulpan, okay? You'll be able to get it even through the Hebrew because of their amazing acting and because we are reading the text first. How much hour, please? <laughs> Instead of masha'a, kama sha'a. How much hour, please? New ole. Ivrit learning not yet know. It's very hard. Me too, Ulpan. To learn a little time. You have a teacher class. This is how you know where you belong, you know, by the name of your teacher. This is Israeli culture. Okay? You have a teacher class. I hear two weeks to be. Me, how much to learn? Ulpan Akiba, in the morning, four hours. Oi, Ivrit hard language, also confusing. But you can talk slow, I with you, also me with you. I see you, quickly dictionary by. <laughs> I see it starts with Aleph, first letter. What is the first thing I see? Ohev, ohevet, with Aleph. I love to love. She loves very beautiful words. You have misses? <laughs> Not at all. You have men? I know one have. Very hard to get along here, a person alone. If person has friend, life much better. Oi, Ivrit hard language. <laughs> the agency, Jewish agency for Israel, that we lovingly call the Sochnut, but I put in parentheses Jaffe for you, Jewish agency for Israel, just in case. The agency gave an apartment. They did not give a key. They say before they give key, I need to bring a groom. They say one is a family too small to get the key. I have big stuff. By me is Frigidaire. I have permit for television. I have the paper to get it tax free like no immigrants, permission, permit for television. Didn't get the money to buy it yet, but he has the paper, okay? I have permit for television. By me, small piano. No car. I have a bicycle, but in the Hebrew she says it was a mistake. Instead of ofanaim, she says ofonaim, which is funny. We have how to manage. Oi, Ivrit, hard language, also confusing. We shall not live alone anymore. I with you, also me with you. <laughs> Let us listen to it. And please, as soon as you can, make a big screen. Can you take it back to the beginning? I need for you to see how much the audience loves them. Thank you. 
סוכנות גייט הנפלתנט. And I would like to draw your attention to page nine. This is a song that you can easily find on your YouTubes. The lyrics written by Ehud Menor, and I, it is a song still sung on Israeli radio by a singer who is a new immigrant from Argentina. And he tells you that he totally became an Israeli, and we'll find out how. But only at night, he still dreams in Spanish. I get up in Hebrew in the morning and drink coffee in Hebrew. I pay expensively in Hebrew for each thing that I buy. In the tongue of King David, I live and speak and read stories to a child, yes, always from right to left. In Hebrew, there are plenty of words to say almost everything. In it, there is a plug and a socket but there is no Hebrew word for tact. <laughs> I get excited in Hebrew from a flower and say my prayers in Hebrew. I get angry in Hebrew in a second and I say a curse in Hebrew. I think and I write in Hebrew without difficulty and love to love you in Hebrew alone. It's a wonderful language. I won't have any other, but at night, at night, I dream still in Spanish. Thank you very, very much. Until we meet again. I finished here so that we can have one or two, okay? Can I ask a quick question? So yeah. why, why you, you were teaching us all this poetry, either because you love poetry, but no one else does in Israel, and you know it, or poetry and music is very big in Israel as compared to other countries. Why, which is the answer and why? I think the second describes my feelings better. I know how an important part, poetry, which we set to music oftentimes, or just lyrics written, sing-alongs, songs on the radio, we express a lot of who we are through our songs. Traditionally, religiously, ideologically, fun things, they are always related. We talk to each other by quotes from songs. You know, this one would be a classical, like he still dreams in Spanish kind of thing. And we know what you mean when you say that he's not totally adjusted yet. Okay, that, yeah. And I think that rather than be descriptive about Israel, let you hear the authentic voices of how Israelis describe this process of becoming an Israeli. And there is no better than a new immigrant than to listen to like the one who still dreams in Spanish. Yeah, any more? Great questions. 
I know it's early. Oh, you can ask. Was there any censorship of anybody who spoke ill of their immigration experience at all? Or was that an area where Israel allowed to First of all, we, we were very slow in inventing political correctness. <laughs> so in Israel, I mean, I wish I had the time. But the freedom by which Israelis can talk ill of each other is unbelievable. And I'm now busy with my son in a vendetta that we stopped because of the shooting and there is also that Israeli derech eretz, then when there is shooting, we don't deal with other issues, okay? But barely 10 days ago, an Israeli journalist went on an interview at one of the popular mainstream television channels. And he said in one short 15 minutes interview, at least the three following things. A, American Jews are to blame for the attacks in San Diego and Pittsburgh because they are against their president and therefore they encounter the anger. Okay? Two, progressive Jews are worse enemies of Israel than Iran. The law of return right should be denied to any such American Jew who will ever in the future attempt Aliyah. That's in one 10 minute interview on the television and he lives and he lives and continues to make good money. Now Uri, who is my son, and I want to put you in touch with him for the Beersheva part. And he has a blog. And he, he invited me to join him in a Facebook action against this guy. So I'm writing from my impressions of meeting these terrible progressive Jews in America, and I'm looking for the enemy every single day in San Diego and Irvine, etc. yet have to find one who are totally not caring about Israel just to come three times to listen to me in under 24 hours, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And to study and struggle with Hebrew text because you are really the worst enemies of the state of Israel. So evil language about other Jews? It's the derech Eretz. <laughs> Last question, please, yes. Is there a, a similar tradition of poetry and song among the Palestinians? And if so, is that a potential means of communication and compassion in the future? I think yes, but I don't know enough about it. The one who started exploring this is uh, Yossi Klein Alvi, mm -hmm. a little bit. My son is starting to get busy with that. I belong to the generation that was never taught Arabic or Arabic or Palestinian culture, and I regret it, but I am aging. So I'm now relying on the younger generation. I think there is, I do not know enough about it, I'm sorry. I teach poetry, but I don't know that much about the music. Yeah. It was a privilege, it was a pleasure. Let's try to meet again.